20,314. If you looked on my calendar for May 27th, 2022, exactly two months from today, you will see the number 20,314. Because when I wake up on the morning of May 27th, 2022, that will be my 20,314th day of being alive. Why is that significant? My dad lived for exactly 20,314 days. On his 20,312th day, I remember having a conversation with my dad. It was a Sunday. I was a student at the University of Michigan. He was living in L.A. where I grew up. We had a good conversation that day. He was perfectly healthy, or seemingly so. It was just a good weekend update. On day 20,313, my dad went to work. He worked for Lockheed. Wasn't feeling that well later in the day. Someone brought him home. He later went to the ER, and they found out he had a heart aneurysm. They scheduled him for surgery a few days later, but later that evening, that heart aneurysm burst. He was taken into surgery. At some point during the surgery, he entered into his 20,314th day of being alive. And he died later that morning. The last I had heard from anything from my family was that conversation that I had with my dad on Sunday. So I got the call at school that was shocking. The call that was sudden. And so on my calendar on May 27th, exactly two months from today, it says 20,314. My wife saw that on the calendar and asked me what I was thinking about that. And I said, oh, you know, I'm not really thinking that much about it. And she said, well, you, you took the time to calculate how many days he was alive. <laughs> and you took the time to figure out how many days that will be in your life. And you took the time to write it on our calendar. <laughs> And I was thinking about it some at that point and was thinking, you know, it, 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 partly as I get closer to the age where my dad was when he died, I'm realizing how young it seems that he was. Or maybe the message should be that I'm getting a lot older than I think I am. <laughs> We're asking the question this Easter, who is Jesus? And we're letting Jesus answer that question. We're looking at the seven times in the Gospel of John where he started a sentence with saying, I am. We're trying to look at who he says he is. We're not really looking at what he has done, although we do see some of his actions, but his actions flow out of who he is. The question we're really looking at is who is Jesus at the very core? Who does Jesus say that he is? And the question that I have this Easter season as I've been entering into this with all of us as a church family is how does who Jesus is impact my life as I rapidly approach the 20,314th day of my life? Today, our big idea is going to be this. If you want to know the heart of Jesus as he really is, cherish the good shepherd who embraces you as you really are. 
If you want to know the heart of Jesus as he really is, cherish the good shepherd who embraces you as you really are. One of the traditions that Pastor Scott has that I absolutely love is that together as a church body, we stand to read God's word. So if you're able to, I want to invite you to turn in your Bible to John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. If you don't have your Bible with you, it's going to be up here uh, on the monitor, um, and we're going to read God's word together. John chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, he leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand. He doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that aren't from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they'll listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. I've received this command from the Father. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning that you would take this text and make it come alive in each of our lives. I pray that you would use the Holy Spirit to impact me today as I wrestle with the idea of what it means that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. I pray that you would use the Holy Spirit to impact every person in this room and every person watching online as together we wrestle with what it means that Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this morning. We love you, God, in your name. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there's a number of things that Jesus could have said that he did not say here. He says, I'm the good shepherd, but he could have said some other things. One thing he could have said, he could have said, hey, you know what? You don't need a shepherd. That could have been an option. Instead of I'm the good shepherd, he could say, you don't need a shepherd. You know, maybe he'd be saying if he had said that, that there's some kind of metamorphosis that, that takes place. Remember last week, Pastor Scott was talking about Jesus being the gate. And so he could be saying something like, you know what, I'm the gate, and when you come, you're, you're a sheep, and you come, and you, you accept Jesus Christ as Savior as you enter into the gate, and then you're going to change into something else. You're not going to be a sheep anymore. Uh, maybe you'll, you'll be a, a, a lion, or you'll be something different, but you're going to change from being a sheep into something else. Jesus didn't say this. Scott talked about some of that last week. You know, if I wrote the Bible... I wouldn't have made a sheep. Um, sheep just doesn't seem like a, an animal that I want to be. I love golden retrievers. Maybe I'd say, you know, you're, you're golden retrievers. I've had four of them. I, I love them. Uh, maybe I'd be a lion. Um, but sheep, in, in fact, this is, this is part of the idea that, uh, as I was thinking about this, that this kind of proves that God wrote the Bible. Because I don't know if any human being would put this together and say, hey, let's make a sheep. 
when you think of sheep, sheep are um, fearful and they're timid. They follow each other without thinking. Some uh, writers have called this sort of the stampede, stampede idea, where, where they'll run after each other and it'll become this stampede and they have no idea where they're going. Their only self-defense is to run. If there's predators or someone coming after them, that's their self-defense, run. They're easily killed by enemies. And my favorite is that they can easily cast. And what casting is, is they get so heavy with wool on the top of them that they actually flip over and are on their back, and then they can't right themselves. It takes someone coming up and turning them back over. There is something that a sheep has going for it. They have a shepherd which I suppose can be a good or a bad thing depending on who the shepherd is. It's tempting to believe that we're not sheep, but that's not the path that God laid out for us. We celebrate having no shepherd when in our pride we think we have what it takes to thrive on our own. We celebrate having no shepherd when we care more about winning and looking strong than we do about being a sheep of the good shepherd. One thing Jesus could have said is you don't need a shepherd. But he didn't say that. He could have said this. He could have said, I'm a bad shepherd. We don't need another bad shepherd. We have enough bad shepherds in the world. You know, a a few days after I got the call that my dad had died, I was at his memorial service back in L.A., And there was a longtime friend of his who came up to me, and um, my dad was really the first of his friend group that died, so it was pretty impactful in that whole group. And one of the men came up to me and put his arm around me and said, "Um, this has been a horrible week from all of us. Um, Don't worry, we're going to get through today, and then um, you and I will go out sometime and we'll get drunk. (laughs) It was probably the shepherding he had. That's the direction you go. That's how you solve this. Bad shepherd. You know, you think when we come into this text in John chapter 10, an interesting thing about John chapter 10 is it comes right after John chapter 9. And John chapter 9, there's this guy who was born blind. And Jesus sees him and he heals him. But that upsets the leadership of Israel because he did it on the Sabbath day. And so they start like this investigation that's taking place all throughout John chapter 9. And and they call um, him up and and his friends up. And and they they finally want to talk to his parents. And is that really your son or is that someone else? Is this like a bait and switch here and that's not really the person? They say, no, it's the person. So they call the guy who was healed in again. And they said, "Um, can you tell us, is Jesus a sinner? We're pretty sure he's a sinner. Is he a sinner? I don't know. All I know is I woke up this morning blind and now I can see. That's what I know. And you know what they do to him because he woke up that morning blind and by the end of the day he could see? They threw him out of the synagogue. Like not just you got to leave for right now, like you're out, you can't come back. And Jesus hears that he's been thrown out of the synagogue and he tracks him down and has a conversation with him. And that conversation leads into this where Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. And as he's saying, I'm the good shepherd, he's saying, don't worry about that. They threw you out of the synagogue, but they're bad shepherds. You don't need them. They're bad shepherds. I'm the good shepherd. 
We have examples of bad shepherds um, throughout the pages of Scripture. Remember the sons of Eli who, who were um, priests and, and, and were supposed to be leading the people of God, and instead they were taking their position and doing whatever they could in their position to sleep with as many women as possible and, and then to be stealing as people were bringing their offerings. They had their hands on the offering plate. Bad shepherds. God has a whole chapter in Ezekiel 34 where he he talks about the bad shepherds of Israel. A bad shepherd leads us away from an abundant life and instead destroys us. A bad shepherd has a selfish agenda that he wants us to meet. We exist to meet his agenda. When we decide that we don't want the route of humility, when we decide that we're not a sheep, our most likely next step is to follow a bad shepherd. It might be a recognized leader. It might just be following someone in the decision they're making and the direction they're going. They're not trying to be a leader, but they're just saying, hey, we'll go out to get drunk. That's how you deal with your dad's death. Jesus could have said, you don't need a shepherd. Jesus could have said, I'm the bad shepherd. He could have said, you know what, I'm an okay shepherd. Remember the early jobs you get in life? And someone says, hey, how's the job going? You say, you know, it's going okay. I mean, it's not my career job. It's not what I want to do for a living. But it's going okay. I'm figuring it out. I'm learning what to do there. I'm, I'm okay at my job. The person who's doing this kind of job versus a career job, you know, when you're in a career job, you're, you're doing everything you can to, to be excellent at it. You're, you're staying late. You're working hard. You're, you're making sure it's excellent. Here, you're, you're done with your shift. You clock out. I'm doing okay. You know, the hired hand that's talked about in this passage, the hired hand, um, and what would happen here is you'd have the sheep pen that's closer um, to the city, and the shepherd would be with the sheep all day, and then the shepherd at night would go on into the city and sleep, and there'd be a hired hand, someone who would come watch the sheep that night and make sure they're okay. And there'd be some things the hired hand might deal with, but if it gets dangerous enough, if there's wolves coming, the hired hand's going to be, hey, you know what, I'm making minimum wage here. This isn't my career job. I'm not dying for this job. So the hired hand takes off. And now it's sheep without a shepherd again, facing every danger out there. Jesus says something totally different than any of those three. He says, I'm the good shepherd. You know what I think distinguishes Jesus as the good shepherd from every other kind of shepherd out there? What makes Jesus a good shepherd versus being, eh, he's okay. He isn't fooled by who we are. He knows we're sheep. He isn't pretending to be something he's not. He's not a wolf pretending to be a shepherd. It isn't a side gig for him. It's the core of who he is. He is a good shepherd. Do you have an area of life you struggle with, an area where you sin and you feel like you just keep struggling with that area of sin? Maybe it's just me. 
I get a picture at times that as I come to God and talk to him about this area of sin, that, that as I come, the picture I get is Jesus shaking his head. Oh, again? I've been part of churches before where, where that was part of the theme you'd get is everything that Jesus did, and we go through the Good Friday picture, everything he did, and this is how you repay him? And the pictures of Jesus going, oh, shaking his head. And you know why it's easy for me to think of Jesus that way? Um, because that's probably how I view other people at times. Where you come back to me time and time again um, for, with the same sin that you, you've committed against me. And it's like, are you really repentant? Like if you're repentant, wouldn't you stop doing it? Or you have the good shepherd who... At times, his sheep go through a tough time, and they have some tough questions to ask. Like, why'd you take my dad when you did? He was a man of God. There were a lot of people in this world that God could have taken at that point that probably would have deserved to be taken out of the world. Why'd you choose my dad? When I ask those questions, Jesus shaking his head like, don't you get it? Don't you understand? Can he handle my emotions? When I was struggling with anger and hurt following my dad's death. You know, think of what we celebrate at Good Friday and Easter. We celebrate that Jesus came to this world, died on a cross, rose again, and he offers us a free gift of salvation. Do you know the difference between people who are going to spend eternity in heaven and people who are going to spend eternity in hell? The difference isn't that one group figured it out and was really good and the other group was really bad. That's not the difference. The difference isn't that one group's really smart and the other group's not as smart. The difference is that when God made an offer, one group came to Jesus and the other group did not. When Jesus is the good shepherd, whether it's that first moment of salvation or any other time in your life, Jesus loves to have his sheep come to him. He's not shaking his head in disappointment. No matter what you're walking through, the good shepherd loves to have his sheep come to him. When I sin, Jesus isn't shaking his head. When I ask tough questions of him, he isn't disappointed. When I'm angry and mad at hurt, he isn't shaking his head. He gets that we're sheep. He understands that. The undesirableness of our sheepiness is exactly why we can trust Jesus. He gets who we are. You're a sheep. He's a shepherd. And that's the core of his heart to care for the sheep. It's the core of his heart to love his sheep. He isn't shaking his head. Instead, he's eager for us to come to him even for the 490th time.
I recently was reading this book. Um, Pastor Scott actually gave me a copy of it. It's by Dane Ortland, Gentle and Lowly. It is an excellent book. And there's a quote early on in the book. It's in the preface of why the book was written. And Dane Ortland says this. This book is written for the discouraged, the frustrated, the weary, the disenchanted, the cynical, the empty, those running on fumes, those whose lives feel like constantly running up a descending escalator, those of, who's, of us who find ourselves thinking, how could I mess up that bad again? It is for that increasing suspicion that God's patience is wearing thin. For those of us who know God loves us, but suspect we've deeply disappointed him. Who have told others of the love of Christ, yet wonder if, as for us, he harbors mild resentment. Who wonder if we have shipwrecked our lives beyond what can be repaired. Who are convinced we've permanently diminished our usefulness to the Lord. People who are scared that Jesus is shaking his head in disappointment. You know, this text talks about four truths about the good shepherd. And the first one that it points out is that the good shepherd died for the sheep. We see that in the text that we read where it says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd dies for his sheep. You know, think of when Jesus was on the cross and towards the end of that whole time that he was on the cross, um, one of the people that was there crucifying him took a spear and put it up into his side to try to puncture his heart. Think of that image. So you see this quote. This is from a pastor who's a Puritan pastor. If you meet the poor wretch, and this pastor, by the way, he's thinking of how Jesus might be talking here, how Jesus might be viewing that person who put the spear into his side. If you meet the poor wretch that thrust the spear into my side, tell him there's another way, a better way of coming at my heart if he will repent and look upon the one whom he has pierced and will mourn. I'll cherish him in that very bosom he has wounded, he shall find the blood he shed an ample atonement for the sin of shedding it. And tell him for me. Now he's going to describe here what hurts him even more than them crucifying him. What hurts even more than having a spear thrust into his side as he was on a cross. And tell him from me, he will put me to more pain, that should be pain, more pain and displeasure by refusing this offer of my blood than when he drew it forth. The good shepherd desires his sheep to come to him. It pains him more when we don't come to him than even the pain of when he was crucified. Jesus is the good shepherd. He died for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows them. You know, 
Pastor Scott gave a great image of sheep last week when he talked about how they hear his voice and they instantly respond um, to, to the voice of the shepherd. And the shepherd knows his sheep. Years ago, I was hearing a pastor, it was a pastor I knew who was talking, and he had gone on a vacation with his wife to Scotland. And as they were driving through the Scottish um, land there, um, he saw a shepherd on a hill. So he pulled over his car and says, honey, just, I, I just got to go talk to the shepherd because that's what pastors do on vacations is they find sermon illustrations. <laughs> and so he, he's, he's in Scotland. He sees the shepherd up on the hill. He starts running up this hill. He gets about halfway up. And he realizes, man, this, this hill was bigger than I thought it was. And, and then he keeps on going and he gets up to the shepherd and there's all these sheep around. And he says, I'm a pastor and, and I, I want to know what it's like to be a shepherd. Can I ask you some questions? And the guy's sure. Says, How many sheep do you have? Goes, I don't know. Goes, what do you mean you don't know? How do you know if any are missing? And he said, well, that one is Fred. And that one's. And he starts naming them one by one. He didn't know his sheep because of how many there were in total. He knew the names of every single one. He knew the tendencies of all his sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Jesus is the good shepherd. And he has more sheep. You know, years ago, I was talking to someone. It was a young couple, and, and they had just gotten married maybe a few years before, and marriage hadn't been what they thought marriage was going to be. It had been a fight since day one. It had been a struggle. And um, the, the husband was talking to me, and he said at one point, hey, I think I figured out what we need to do to make our marriage better. I, I think I finally discovered the solution um, to, to really solve the issues in our marriage. We're going to have a baby. <laughs> And I was like, let me explain theologically what you're talking about here. Because you used to be single and you were a person who struggled with sin and that was your life. And then you got married and so you now had this family and there's two of you struggling with sin and that struggle with sin's bouncing off each other. So it's like an exponential effect here. Now you want to add a third little sinner to the mix. And the sin is just going to feel exponentially worse because it's all bouncing off each other. Do you realize what Jesus did after he died on the cross, after he ascended into heaven? He created something called the church. The church is our graduate school for how to grow up, how to mature. And do you know what the church consists of? The church consists of a bunch of people who still struggle with sin. And we have that sin bouncing off each other. That's why there's conflict in churches. That's the exact area where God put us to mature us in the faith. And so what does Jesus do? Everyone at this point of time when Jesus is talking would have thought, hey, if there's going to be something new here, if there's going to be something new that Jesus is going to do, that it's going to be the Jewish thing. And the world, according to the Bible, would have been two groups. It would have been Jewish, and then it would have been Gentile. And so what does Jesus say? He says, hey, we're not just going to make this a Jewish thing here. Look what we're going to do. I have sheep that aren't from the sheep pen. And I'm going to bring them also, and they'll listen to my voice, and there will be one flock, one shepherd. We're all going to be one group. So we're going to mix into this mess people of all different races and all different nations. 
And we're going to add that into the mix. You know why? Because I'm a shepherd and I love my sheep so much, I want more sheep. He's not shaking his head at you. He loves having more sheep. And you know what? Because he's the good shepherd, he does it all voluntarily. Jesus didn't lose a bet within the Trinity, and that's why he's the one that came to earth. He did it voluntarily. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I could take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down. I have the right to take it up again. I've received this command from my Father. He does it all voluntarily. few next steps to think about. First one's this. Ask yourself this. In what ways do I feel Jesus shaking his head at me in disapproval? I'd encourage you to think about that this week. In fact, maybe right now, if you're willing, shut your eyes. Picture yourself coming to Jesus. Are there times when you're doing that and you feel like he's shaking his head? No. He's shaking his head, disappointed in disapproval. That's what you want to be thinking about in this first point. You could open your eyes. Be thinking about it this week. Where are the areas when I feel Jesus shaking his head at me in disapproval? Second one. Make a list of ways in which you embrace not needing a shepherd or you pursue the benefits that a bad or okay shepherd provides. Where are you okay with not having a good shepherd? You kind of like having a bad shepherd. <laughs> you kind of like having an okay shepherd. Or you, you like pretending you don't need a shepherd. I'm good enough without a shepherd. I'm no sheep. Third thing, celebrate the good shepherd who embraces you as you really are. I encourage you to spend some time, maybe as a family, maybe as your, your, your community group. Celebrating the good shepherd who embraces you as you really are. Fourth, ask yourself, how would celebrating Jesus change anything that you listed up in number one or number two? If you really celebrate Jesus, who's the good shepherd. How's that change everything else we talked about in one and two? So as we've been looking at Jesus and who he is, I come back to day 20,314. And as I prepared for today, I started to change my approach. Instead of knowing all the answers, I humbly came to my good shepherd. And I asked that added question of what, what's really going on? Why, why did you care enough to calculate how many days your dad was alive? Why did you care enough to calculate how, where you are in that process? Why did you write it on the calendar? As Lisa and I were talking about it some, realizing, you know, the root emotion there probably in my life is fear. 
If you know me, I'm a family person. I absolutely love my wife and my kids. There's a small part of me that thinks, man, if I died at the same point my dad died, I'd feel like I'd be missing out. I absolutely cherish my relationship with my wife. I love the adventures that God has put us on. Um, some of them we would have never chosen to enter into and have been ones we've had to work through. Um, some have been wonderful adventures that we've absolutely loved together. I, I, I anticipate more adventures with my wife. I want more adventures. I don't want to miss out on that. I'm so proud of my kids. I'm so excited about the young men and women of God that they are and are becoming. I can't wait to see what God does in their lives and their future. I want to be part of that. And in my head, I know the theology. I went to seminary. I was a pastor for a couple decades. I know the theology. I know heaven's better. I get that. But there's still that fear in my heart. And you know what? That doesn't push Jesus away. He knows I'm a sheep. He gets it. He knows I struggle with that. You know the bigger problem I have as I think of day 20,314? I look at my wife and she doesn't look like a widow to me. seems too young for that. I feel like I'm still impacting her and that I'm still impacting my kids, that she needs me, that my kids need me. What will happen if I'm not here? Are my kids ready for that yet? And as I honestly approach the Good Shepherd with that, he reminded me back to a day a few years after my dad died I, I can remember that night very clearly. I was in my third year of law school. I was in my bed. I was feeling a lot of different things of uncertainty about my future and what was going to happen. And I needed my dad to talk to. And I remember tears coming down my face. And I said, I need my dad. I need to talk to my dad. And the loneliness of the moment, I was missing him. And I could feel in that moment what felt to me like arms around me. And even though I didn't hear an audible voice, I could hear God saying, it's okay, I got you. I've got you. And for the first time, this answer came to my head of Jesus telling me, you know, Chris, I'm not just your good shepherd. I'm also Lisa's good shepherd. And I'm Jenna's good shepherd. And I'm Joshua's good shepherd. And I'm Caleb's good shepherd. And on the day after your last day, I've got them. I've got them. So in two months, 61 days from today, on day 20,314, I'll remember my dad. I'm not going to dread that day. 
I'll seek to thrive as one of his sheep impacting the world. I'll know he's my good shepherd. And I'll know that whether I'm here or someday when I'm gone, he is the good shepherd to Lisa. And he's the good shepherd to Joshua. And he's the good shepherd to Jenna. And he's the good shepherd to Caleb. Heavenly Father, thank you for being my good shepherd. Thank you that when I lay crying in a bed, that you had me, that you were there. Thank you that you get sheep so much that you're not shaking your head in disappointment when I'm being sheepy. That you love me, that you desire me to be coming into your presence. That my struggles don't push you away. They don't make you want to run from me. They don't make you want to abandon me. They make you embrace me even more. Thank you, God, for that. For every day you give me on this earth, I want to serve you. I love you, God. We worship you this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray.